The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, host of Green Sports Pod, and happy Earth Day, everybody. And I could not think of a better Earth Day guest than Dr. Michael Mann, who is one of the leading climate scientists in the world and has been at this for several decades. He, in fact, coined the term hockey stick to describe carbon dioxide and temperature rising at breakneck speed since the Industrial Revolution due to climate change. He is going to be starting a new job, leaving Penn State University and going to the University of Pennsylvania, where he'll have many titles, one of which really interests me, called the Center for Science, Sustainability, and Media. Welcome, Dr. Michael Mann, who, it must be said, is also an Eco-Athletes Advisory Board member. Mike, great to have you on. Uh, great to be with you, Lou. Always great to talk with you, my friend. Well, let's get right into it. In eco-athletes, we, we say, you know, humanity is behind in the climate game. It's in the late innings, and we need to make a climate comeback. Now, taking it beyond sports, looking at the news now, and we're talking a few days before Earth Day, there's the damning IPCC report that was just out. There is the horrific Ukraine war being perpetrated by Russia, and there is very high inflation in the United States. And so where does climate change and climate action fit in? It seems like we're behind more broadly. Yeah, I mean, it's late in the fourth quarter and we're a couple touchdowns down right now, if you, you, know, if you wanna use that analogy when it comes to addressing you know, the greatest crisis we ultimately face. And we're facing, as you allude to, multiple crises right now. We still have a pandemic. We're not past that yet. We have uh, Russia's aggression in Ukraine that threatens to become World War III, depending on what happens over the next you know, several weeks. So we have a lot on our plate right now. And it's important to recognize, nonetheless, that some of these problems are interconnected. And that means that the solutions themselves are interconnected. Obviously, the COVID-19 crisis, the pandemic, it's important for us to listen to what scientists have to say. And it's been opposition to the messaging from our best public health scientists that ultimately has led to the crisis that we've experienced over the past two years. So there's a lesson, listen to the scientists. Well, the same thing with the climate crisis. We need to listen to the scientists. Gratuitous of me to say, because I am one myself, but nonetheless, the science here is extremely clear. The planet is warming up, the climate is changing. It's having all sorts of devastating impacts on us already, and it will get much worse if we don't do anything about it. And we're causing it. And we're causing it through our reliance on fossil fuels, which you know gives us that next connection. Because 
It's the carbon pollution from our continued burning of fossil fuels that's warmed up the planet and created climate havoc. But it is also our reliance on fossil fuels that has built up these authoritarian regimes like Saudi Arabia and Russia. Russia is a petrostate. Most of its economic assets are the fossil fuels buried beneath their ground. They want to monetize those assets. Putin wants to monetize those assets. And it is our dependence on Russian oil and gas, especially in Europe, that has, first of all, created this monster. Their military you know, was built off of dollars, of petrodollars, dollars that they got from us and other countries when we buy their oil and gas. And they're using Europe's dependence, continuing dependence on their oil and gas as a cudgel in an effort to prevent other European countries from, from taking greater involvement and in, in pushing back against their, uh, their, uh, their uh, you know, aggression, um, in particular sanctions that would bar the purchase of Russia's oil and gas. And Europe hasn't been willing to do that yet because they are dependent on that oil and gas for money. So we see that both of those problems, the climate crisis and you know, this Russian aggression that threatens to metastasize into a third world war, both of them are a consequence of our continued addiction to fossil fuels. The solution the ultimate solution is for us to get off fossil fuels, move away from our dependence on oil and gas and coal and embrace renewable energy. And that is the great opportunity of this century, economically, the clean energy revolution. And it's also the path to a more sustainable future when it comes to issues of conflict, of global conflict, like we're facing right now. First of all, that is so clearly said and so important and so spot on. But we have kind of forces of inaction that are keeping the forces of clean energy and action at bay, kind of like a great defense, not to overuse sports analogies, but it's what we do. And, you know, how do we fight those and also at the same time, Stop from feeling depressed, paralyzed, you know, climate grief, climate anxiety, especially amongst young people, people whom you teach are reporting this in greater frequency. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, I, I embrace that analogy. You know, the fossil fuel industry has long recognized that the best defense is a good offense. And so what they're doing is they're taking, you know, this particular episode where it's so clear, if you look at it objectively, that the problem, you know, that what we're facing with Russia right now is a consequence of our ongoing dependence on fossil fuels. And so they've decided to take that liability and to try to distort it into what is an ostensible strength, as if the way to deal with this crisis is to double down in fossil fuels. They're exploiting, you know, the short-term gap in energy and the spike in energy prices, they're exploiting this short-term challenge to try to mislead us into thinking that doubling down in new fossil fuel infrastructure that locks us in for decades 
of additional extraction and burning of fossil fuels, that somehow that is the solution to the crisis we're currently facing. Now, look, we do need to find a way to meet the basic energy needs of the people as we deal with this event, with this challenge. And, you know, there are things that can be done with, you know, strategic petroleum reserve or ethanol. Right now, the Biden administration is looking at increasing production of ethanol. We do need to do something to deal with this short-term challenge. But the wrong thing would be to somehow think that we should be building new fossil fuel infrastructure to lock in, again, not months of additional fossil fuels, but decades of additional fossil fuel extraction, because then we will blow past any estimate of our remaining carbon budget. If we continue to build new fossil fuel infrastructure, as fossil fuel companies are trying to convince us, are trying to exploit the current crisis to convince us that we need to do that, if we continue to build new fossil fuel infrastructure, new pipelines, new coal mines, then we will blow past our carbon budget, not just for one and a half Celsius, three Fahrenheit warming, but four, five degrees Fahrenheit warming, where pretty soon we're talking about an unlivable planet, a planet that cannot sustain a human civilization that looks anything like our civilization today. That's the choice. So then I think this is a nice pivot to, or a good pivot point to your new role at, at UPenn, Mike in particular, the Center for Science, Sustainability, and the Media, because, and I'll even emphasize that third and last word, the media, because this is a even newer climate war to make a play on your, the title of your most recent book, The New Climate War. Now it's a newer climate war where we're dealing with inflation and Putin and et cetera. And climate can seemingly be kind of pushed under the rug if the forces of inaction have their way. So how can, through media and the, and the people who care about this, how can they fight that? What's the counterweight? Yeah, I mean, so that's really, I think, what we're both about. The organization that you're leading, bringing athletes together to try to command the attention of the public to get people to think about this in a different way. Because, you know, we've tried having, you know, scientists like myself and academics presenting the information to the public. That's important, but it's not adequate. We encounter some resistance from people who just aren't going to listen to a scientist or an academic, but you take their favorite sports figures, they start talking about you know, why this is a crisis, how it's impacting sports today. We're seeing, you know, remarkable impacts on winter sports, for example, a disappearance, a virtual disappearance of many of the traditional venues for winter sports because of these warming winters. Beijing 2022 was 100% man-made snow and there are projections. Vancouver. Yeah, a lot of winter Olympic cities are not gonna be able to host Winter Olympics if we continue on the current path. And then you have extreme heat and, you know, the summer sports are certainly not immune, even though they may not be as kind of obvious or canaries in coal mine as winter sports are. Well, but we've heard, you know, some of the, the incidents, you know, football players working out with all their gear in the middle of the summer under very hot conditions. And, 
you know, and unfortunately some perishing as a result of that. So the sports community gets it and they play a, a really important role here because this has become so partisan, so ideological, so tribal, and yet sports to a large extent, not completely, everything has been politicized in today's world. And, and unfortunately, that's true even in the world of sports where there are people who won't listen to athletes, you know, or will criticize them because they don't like their politics or they don't like their message. Or they make vaccines a political issue and then, then, the, right. then the fans take sides based on that. Right. And we've seen that on both sides of the political spectrum, you know, so. I'm guilty. But the bottom line is that notwithstanding, I still think that sports figures occupy a very special place in our society today. People do have a real connection, a real bond with their favorite athletes. And so that's why what you're doing is so powerful, trying to leverage those voices to provide a greater platform for this. And that's what I'm trying to do with this new center at the University of Pennsylvania, bringing together the science the communications world, the Annenberg School of Communication at Penn is this amazing resource. They do factcheck.org. So they're this wonderful resource that I'll be able to work with to try to establish this center that is addressing the same thing that you're trying to address with, with your organization, Lou. Finding a way to communicate this crisis to the public in a way that will engage them and generate the action that we need to see. And at scale. Because, you know, one of the things that I think about when we talk about, you know, green sports within eco-athletes and, and beyond is that the media, the sports media has a huge role to play. If a league wants to say it's green, then I think it needs to partner with its, the ESPNs of the world and the NBC sports, et cetera, to put green messaging out there that's real, not kumbaya but real, with real action attached. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And that's where there is so much potential for leveraging of this message, right? First of all, you have the sports figures and they often have major platforms themselves and they can use those platforms for this message. But there's also this sort of communication infrastructure in the sports world. It's the ESPNs and the Sports Illustrateds and the... And so there is a way to leverage that for athletes to, to leverage, you know, because again, we're looking for that side door. There are people for whom the front door is bolted shut. You come at them with scientific facts and figures, they're not going to listen to you. So you're looking for a side door. Oh, well, that side door could be, you know, an article in Sports Illustrated about the threat that climate change poses to you know, whatever your favorite sport is, because there literally are none except maybe some indoor sports. You know, there, there are almost no sports that aren't in some way threatened. I sometimes say there is no economy on a dead planet. There's no sports on a dead planet either. That's right. That's right. I mean, I'll say something similar. I'll say you want to find a place where there are no extreme heat waves. There's no poverty. There are no violence against women, you know where that place is? Mars. Why? Because Mars does not have a habitable climate for then humans to live, and then we can start creating problems for ourselves. Absolutely, Lou. So, I mean, so that's why I'm excited to be, you know, on the advisory board for Eco Athletes. You're doing God's work. <laughs> it's such important work here.
Well, thank you. And, and thank you for being part of it as an advisory board member and your council is, is very much appreciated. We use the hashtag climate comeback because we're behind and who fashions comebacks but athletes. And, you know, I'm envisioning a climate comeback tour where we could have a couple of athletes and yourself, here I am drafting you, to go and do talks to fans on climate. Sounds great. It's a, a two-minute drill, and we will score that winning touchdown. <laughs> Boom. Uh, working together as a team. Hey, look, if Kansas could come down back from 15 down at halftime in the national championship game, I don't like to say it, but if Tom Brady could come back from 28-3 down with the Patriots in the Super Bowl, we can do better on this. Well, I have to say, I grew up in you know, Western Massachusetts, so there's always been a special place in my heart for the Patriots, despite the tough times that they have seen, but yes. I teed you up for that, and as a long-suffering, which is the only way to describe it, New York Jets fan, I know about the need for comebacks, let's just <laughs> say that. In the time we have left, one of the things that I've noticed in talking to athletes, and, and one of the reasons we formed Eco Athletes was to help them kind of overcome the obstacles that they may kind of see in front of them that keep them from talking about climate change. And the three obstacles that come up time and again are, it's too sciencey, it's too political, and I'm gonna be branded a hypocrite because my carbon footprint is through the roof because I have to fly for my sport. From where you sit, how would you address some of those concerns? Yeah, you know, they're all legitimate concerns. People struggle to talk about this issue. And on the science, too sciencey, well, you, you can make it wonkish and about, you know, climate model simulations and economic cost benefit scenarios. And if you want to get into the technical details and the wonkish, you know, aspects of the problem, you can. But at some level, it's really basic. Carbon out, carbon in. Carbon pollution, it's a greenhouse gas. You put more carbon pollution into the atmosphere, you warm up the planet, you melt ice, you create more extreme weather events. And there was a time when this was seemingly theoretical. It was about what we might see in the future. That's not where we are now. We're in that future. We see the impact. The future is now. We see the impacts play out in real time. And so we can talk about, you know, name your favorite extreme weather disaster over the past several years. There have been so many of them, and we can point to literally every one of them and say they would not have been, you know, there might have been an extreme weather event, but it wouldn't have been the weather disaster that it was. The unprecedented wildfires that we've seen out west, the unprecedented super storms, hurricanes and flooding events that we've seen back east we wouldn't be talking about record, devastating, deadly events of this sort, if not for the warming of the planet. So it's there. All you have to do is open up your eyes. Yeah. And, and you know what? What I like to say is, you know what? You don't have to be a scientist, basketball player, tennis player, field hockey player. All you have to do is know that you care and you want a habitable planet. If you have a scientific question, that's when you ask Michael Mann or anybody else in this field. But you're human, you want a livable planet like what you had growing up and your, and your parents had. And, and let's talk about the, the, you know, the hypocrisy claim, because yes. this, is a, this is a weapon used by 
the forces of inaction you were mentioning earlier, I call them inactivists in, in my book, the polluters and those you know, doing their bidding. They love this hypocrisy angle. It's a way to, first of all, divert attention from the real solutions. Because yeah, let's all you know, do whatever we can to decrease our environmental impact, but that's not gonna solve the climate crisis. We need policies, we need systemic changes that collectively move us all in the right direction. Not every one of us is going to care deeply about climate change, but we can have incentives, economic incentives, so that every one of us makes climate-friendly choices because those choices are cheaper, because the incentives in our economy favor cleaner energy over dirty fossil fuel energy, climate-friendly practices over climate-unfriendly practices. And so talking about individual behavior, pointing to individuals and talking about how, you know, they're not doing enough themselves as individuals is a diversionary tactic. It's a distraction. What we need are these systemic changes. It's also divisive. It gets us fighting with each other. It generates internal conflict. They can't really deny it anymore. It's obvious. Climate crisis is obvious. So they've turned to all these other tactics that start with D words. There's the deflection away from systemic changes towards individual, as if it's in action, as if it's just all on us as individuals. There's division, getting us arguing with each other. What they're also doing is taking some of our leading voices, opinion leaders, and trying to basically invalidate them by attacking them. So there's no you know, mystery as to why they go after Leonardo DiCaprio or Al Gore and accuse them of being hypocrites. It plays to those other two tactics, the division and the deflection, but it's also an attempt to invalidate some of our most important messengers. And no doubt, you know, athletes who step up to the plate, you know, to use a sports analogy, are going to find themselves subject to these efforts to discredit them by the climate disinformation machine. That's what they do. But, you know, recognize that this is about our legacy. You know, how do you want to be remembered? And I certainly want to be remembered for having done everything that I could possibly do, even in the face of this, you know, massive opposition from fossil fuel interests. I want to be remembered for doing everything I could to preserve this planet for our children and our grandchildren. And I think that a lot of our partners in this movement, a lot of our sports figures who have come on board, I think it's the same thing. They want that to be their legacy. They want to use, you know, whatever celebrity, whatever prominence, whatever platform they've attained, they want to use it for good. And this is a way to do it. And the thing is, they've been doing it, athletes have been doing it for decades, you know, on civil rights, women's rights, issues of war and peace, and in the short term, have sometimes suffered for it. But in the end, you know, Billie Jean King is seen as an icon. You know, Muhammad Ali is seen as an icon. During his time, when he was, you know, banned from boxing, there were a lot of people who were happy he was banned from boxing. Lou Alcindor. Lou Alcindor. He spells his first name the right way. Of course, he changed it to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but that's a whole different story. Yes, Lou Alcindor. It's the lose. It's about the lose. That's right. So now we need, 
And so you just teed me up. This is what, what, what I say. We are looking for the Muhammad Ali's, the Billie Jean King's, or to say in the current day, the Megan Rapinoe's of the climate movement. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Mike, this has been just a tremendous session, a great talk. Thank you so much. And, and really good luck at UPenn. I, I know you start in the fall there. And, you know, we will be working together to, to accelerate the climate comeback. That's great. And, and Philly is a big sports town. So maybe we'll have a chance to do some events there. Hey, look, Eco Athletes Champions could be part of your media sessions. That would be awesome. I would love to do something like that. So anyways, we'll, we'll be in communication in any case. But thanks so much for, for having me on and for this great conversation. Awesome. And thank you for listening to Green Sports Pod. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod. <laughs>